Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios in association with Harper Voyager Books presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 2 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Yes, Miss Braun? I don't mean to be a bother. As you know... Out with it. What did you break? I've not broken anything. Lately. It's just... Glancing at some of these newly discovered cases, we've got quite a few incidents involving the House of Asher. Well, they are quite nefarious. It got me thinking. Wellington, why did they kidnap you? It is obvious, isn't it? They wanted access to the archives, to its secrets. What else would it be? Perhaps something to do with your upbringing? You did come from a rather privileged... Eliza, I'd prefer my past to be my own. Honor this. Please. Of course. But Wellington, as we are partners, you would tell me if there is something I should know. Yes? Believe me, my past is rather plain. Nothing of note, I assure you. Of course, Wellington. Of course. Sins of the Father by T. Morris Summer, 1888. The air never smelt right. It stopped smelling normal when the iron lung was installed. It tasted of metal and carbolic acid, and did indeed feel like it was burning its way down his throat. Arthur didn't give a damn. He was alive. Regardless of the bellows that continued to feed him oxygen, the hiss of machinations that threatened to cocoon him, and the tinny, metallic voice that he now used to issue commands to his house staff, he was alive. He was still Lord of the Manor. Sir? The voice came from behind him. His right index finger pressed the small white button he felt there, and the apparatus shuddered lightly as it turned him slowly to face his butler, Martins. Young Master Books has arrived, sir. The servant spoke evenly. Show him in. Arthur hissed, returning his chair to the view he had grown so accustomed. He had learned at an early age that a man was defined by his legacy, by the harvest one would leave their descendants. It should be a bountiful harvest, and his heart kicked harder in his chest as he looked across the grounds of his estate. Arthur's touch will be felt for ages to come, a new chapter in the great epic that was the British Empire. Footsteps drew closer. One pair he recognized as his butler. The other pair were quiet, almost graceful. 
Arthur knew that second man could be as quiet as a breeze through the treetops. <laughs> the machine forced another breath into Arthur's body, and he coughed at the invasion. To distract himself, he thought of something more pleasant than his current predicament. Perhaps later he would indulge himself and venture out into the courtyard, enjoy the warmer weather, and perhaps taste a hint of real, fresh country air. You can leave, Martins, he wheezed. And you, Captain, please, have a seat. The familiar steps of the butler rescinded back into the depths of the mansion. Once he knew he and his visitor were alone, he tipped his head back and allowed his mouth to stretch into a grin. You made it out alive. He disliked how the words grated out of his broken body. I did. Another pause, where the silence felt more heavy than peaceful. As you trained me to do. Turning his chair around, Arthur surveyed what he had created. Unconsciously, his fingers curled into loose, open fists. The result of over two decades of training, conditioning, and regimen now sat before him. Good breeding had undoubtedly been useful. Perhaps Lillian had not been so worthless as he had once thought. The visitor's uniform was immaculate. His chest was adorned with honors, accomplishments, and victories that were just as much Arthur's own as they were the young captain's. The lord of the manor's grin widened as he looked into the hard face that betrayed no emotion. The captain stared at something behind him, probably the corner of a painting or some small fixture in the wall. So, the prodigal son returns. Arthur spoke, his artificial voice doing very little to ease the growing tension in the room. Did you expect any less, father? came the stunned reply. No, Wellington? In fact, Arthur began shifting in his motor chair. If you had not, I would have berated your rotting corpse even if I had to dig it up myself. The young captain nodded, his eyes shifting down to the floor. Then it is a pleasure to deprive you of that particular joy. Do not dare be impertinent with me, boy! He snapped, the loose fist now tightening as the bellows inflated full. Stay there for a moment and then slowly deflated as he eased back into his iron lungs' embrace. I raised you better than that. I do forget myself, Wellington muttered, his gaze on the tips of his boots. No apology? The army had indeed hardened him up. Good. And how are things in the African wilderness? Arthur asked. Quite manageable now. His son replied. Was that a slight tick he saw in his son's expression at the mention of Africa? We avenged General Gordon, managed to airship Amin to safety, and effectively reclaimed several territories under hostile rule. I understand Amin was a bit difficult when you all finally met up in Maswa. Bamfool wanted to reclaim Equatoria, did he not? Arthur took a great amount of satisfaction when his son finally made eye contact with him. He knew what his son was thinking. How the hell did he, the invalid, know that little mission detail? His son had never really understood the reach his father and the family name had over the Empire. Even thousands of miles away from his estate, 
in godforsaken, savage-infested country, Arthur Book still had an eye and an ear on his son, and on what those lurking above him were doing. The governor was a bit difficult once we made contact, but the expedition, save for the failure of the rear column, met its objectives. Wellington cleared his throat. <clears throat> According to Stanley, it was a rousing success. I believe, as I was planning for my return journey, he was planning out his speaking engagement schedule. Is that a fact? Arthur snorted. Pompous Welshman. Wellington's gaze shifted back to the corner of the room. Of course, this is all after I left Banalia. The Congo is a large territory. Many things can happen. Indeed, they can. Arthur flexed his fingers open, then closed. Sometimes without outside influence. He cast his glance out over the grounds for a moment, feeling that pang again to smell the air as he once had. And what of you? Are you planning your speaking engagements, or perhaps a publishing of your memoirs? His son was smiling now. Wellington's eyes were still looking deep into the shadows behind Arthur, but now a strange smile was evident on his lips. It was curious that Wellington made no sign to even try and conceal it. Not quite, father. He hated it when Wellington smiled. It was particularly at times like this, times he made sure were few and far between, when he resembled her. Lillian had betrayed him in her blatant rebellion. First, she would not listen to his reason. Then she refused to heed his authority. Yes, my darling Arthur. She purred in his ear. You took care of me, didn't you? And you thought you could erase me from our son's memory. Arthur shifted nervously in his seat. And just what do you mean by that, boy? Father, I have returned early from a successful mission in the Dark Continent, so that I may end my military career with dignity and honor. Arthur nodded, his smile returning once his sons faded. End with a victory, with Her Majesty and those who tend to her every bunion and boil wanting more, eh? Wellington's smile had completely vanished on that. Perhaps not my own words to describe it, but yes, something resembling that. This may surprise you, Wellington, but you have made me proud. The way his son started, Arthur would have thought the boy had pissed himself. He chortled. <laughs> oh, but you have. My son, you left this estate as a product of training, conditioning, and discipline, in desperate need of refinement. I only reached Captain Father, Wellington said, his jaw tightening. As I wished it to be, he stated, nodding slightly. Again, his son's gaze returning to meet his own was most satisfying. Son. I wanted you to taste ambition, 
be it conscious or not. I made sure, no matter how valiantly you fought, or how brilliant your performance would be, you would never rise above the rank of captain. He gave another dry laugh that evolved into a cough. A metallic tang filled his nose as he breathed deep, and his voice returned in some small measure. Afraid to disappoint me, you would only work harder to achieve promotion, hardening you, preparing you. Additionally, keeping you at the rank of captain, you would not soften in your resolve or skill. He settled in his chair and looked at his progeny, a warmth now building in his chest. And now you have come home. His pride was now an inferno, and it had been so long since Arthur felt anything in his body react to such primal urges. Are you ready, son? I am. The warmth in his chest subsided as Wellington's smile returned. Are you? Wellington asked. Now the only part of him tingling was the fingertips resting gently on the red buttons built into his handrest. Of course I'm ready. It is time for you to claim... To live my life, father, he interjected. By my own morals and my own regimen, no longer yours. A dryness now clutched at Arthur's throat and tightened even in spite of the iron lung's effort to keep him breathing comfortably. I beg your pardon. Wellington paused, narrowing his eyes on him. You beg my pardon? <laughs> Will wonders never cease? He stood, without asking for leave, and held his eye contact. I have come here as a courtesy to let you know that I have taken a position in Her Majesty's government. This position and its demands will probably limit our contact in the future. He gave a light chuckle. <laughs> well, I was planning to limit our contact in the future regardless. Better for both our sanity. Arthur's fingertips itched. Why was I not consulted about this? Because it is not your concern, Wellington replied smartly. If you are involved... Arthur spoke, hating the slight waver the iron lung was giving his voice. Then it is very much my concern. Wellington shrugged lightly, crossed over to the door, took off his uniform hat, and set it on a small end table there. He returned to the seat before his father, glanced outside, then locked his eyes with Arthur's. When I was a child, yes, my concerns were yours. When I was a young man leaving school, yes, my concerns were still yours. He leaned forward, the creaking of his chair sounding far louder than Arthur knew it truly was. The moment I fired my first bullet, the moment I took my first human life, the moment I felt a friend's blood run down my hands, my concerns became my own. You believe that, do you? Most assuredly. Wellington tilted his head to one side, 
and that smile Arthur detested so much returned. I found employment on my own, and I intend to pursue this career with great zeal and determination. I came here, as I said earlier, out of courtesy. You gave me a life, he said, motioning around the two of them, if you can call it that much. At the very least, you have earned that. A position in Her Majesty's government, you say? Arthur's fingers slipped away from the two red buttons. He fought back a smile of his own. So where have you placed yourself? A clerical position. Bellows rose and fell faster now as the Lord of the Manor's rage began to build. No, this wasn't happening. This little whelp would not betray him as well. Clerical was the only thing he could manage to gasp out. Yes, clerical. But your skills, your ability... Are my concern now, not yours. Damn your eyes, I groomed you for better things! His natural voice was ravaged and painful, even to his own ears. Its metallic assistant cut in and out as their coils and diaphragms were overwhelmed by Arthur's sudden outburst. He felt spittle cooling on his chin. And this was when he realized he was also leaning forward, and the brass tubes that were connected to his lungs were tugging painfully at him, beckoning him back into the motor chair. He had taken in a few more deep breaths. A wave of nausea swelled inside his stomach as he eased back, but he fought the urge to vomit. After a moment, he lifted his head up and looked at his son. His ungrateful, treacherous son. And how will you survive, boy? Arthur hissed. Live in the barracks, or perhaps some halfway house for those who served Her Majesty's army? Hardly the lifestyle you are accustomed. He let that sink in for a moment with him. I'll disinherit you. Father, there were two mistakes you made in raising me all on your own. Wellington stood. Arthur immediately recognized the gaze in his son's eyes, and he felt another wild rage blossom in his chest. One of those mistakes was grossly underestimating Mother. You will not mention that harlot in this household, he wheezed. Not while I am still master of it. Wellington nodded. Of course not. But still you did underestimate her. She left me a bit of property in... He paused and shook his head. No, I prefer you didn't know about it. Instead, I will simply assure you that you will never find it and have no hold on it whatsoever. The property is in the name of her side of the family, not yours. I will destroy you. And destroy what has been your crowning achievement of the books? Your legacy? If you truly wanted me dead, I would be. He held out his arms, mimicking the crucifix on the mantel just above the room's fireplace. Go on. Yes, Arthur, please. Lillian's ghost implored. I've missed him so. Reunite us. Wellington's arms lowered, and again, pity welled in the young gentleman's eyes. As I thought. He crossed over to the end table. 
Arthur could see Wellington in the corner of his eye replacing the officer's hat on his head, and checking it in the mirror as he spoke. There is no need to make inquiries of where I will be, father, as this organization is quite secretive. In fact, I was sought out by its director. He was most impressed by my performance in logistics, and remained quite adamant in drafting me for this position. Before I go, father, and before I become nothing more than a memory to Martin's, unless, of course, you have him removed as well, I do have one request to ask of you. Arthur turned the chair to face Wellington. He had the audacity to ask of something from him? He thought he had purged that bitch's influence. I know the truth about Mother, but I want to hear it from you. A small thing to ask, I'm sure, as the deed was a trivial one. When Wellington turned to face him, Arthur's rage vanished. He had done it, and he wanted to be proud. So very, very proud. How did you do it? I am so proud of you, Wellington. Arthur tipped his head back, committing to memory the image of Wellington standing there, believing that he was the victor. This was not over. No. This was all far from over. With pistons pumping and the engine of his motor chair lightly thrumming, Arthur turned his seat away from the decorated, honored captain and moved closer to the window. Yes, a taste of fresh air. That would do the trick right now. He heard the footsteps continue down the corridor, pause, and following a brief, muffled conversation with someone, Martin's perhaps, the soldier was gone. At least for now. The wind, silent as well as invisible from his side of the window, pushed through the trees and along the grass, giving his estate the semblance of the ocean. A memory surfaced of a four-year-old child in the strong, secure hold of his mother. They had spun around in such a breeze, their laughter audible from where he watched them. He was to have been the heir of the book's estate, but Arthur had wanted more. He had wanted to leave his mark on the British Empire, and while he had passed his time, on the account of a weak man who had failed him in every way imaginable, he saw a new opportunity of fulfilling a destiny in his son, Wellington Thornhill Books. That epiphany had come to him when he watched his son play and frolic with his mother. When he had heard their laughter, when he saw their bond, he knew what had to be done. Father, mother, and son. Their path had been set on that fateful day. It could not, nor would not, be allowed to end this way. The soft click of the bookcase dissipated the memory, the faces of wife and son slipping from view as fog burned away by the morning sun. The pair of footsteps walked up behind him, but did not draw as close as Wellington had only moments ago. Perhaps it was the chair that frightened them, the woman did not outwardly show her disdain for his condition, but he could see it in her posture. It lingered in her eyes. It is a shame about your son, my lord. She spoke. A great loss to the house. 
his chair chugged and whirred around again. The woman he found quite stunning, even though at this moment she appeared as a cut-out shadow in the bright daylight of the room. He wondered if the deep crimson eyeliner she wore was some odd intimidation tactic of her order. He found it rather stimulating. A curiosity, considering the doctors had told him such carnal urges would be denied once the iron lung was affixed upon his person. The oaf sent to protect her looked like a caveman wearing a dark morning suit. Utterly ridiculous. Do you believe my work to be lost? <laughs> his laugh made her flinch, and her reaction only made his loins ache for her. My dear child, I spent two decades in that ungrateful whelp. He is more foolish than his dead mother if he believes he can simply walk out of this house without consequences. The truth of the matter is your son has, just now, walked away from your influence. My influence, even from this infernal chair, is far more reaching than you believe. He snapped. Do not question that. The House of Usher was expecting results from your endeavours, not disappointment. Her voice was tart, with a hint of the schoolmistress in it. I know exactly what your order was expecting. Between my own reports and your visits... Arthur stopped and gave a gruff laugh as he looked over them both. <laughs> Perhaps I should remind you that I have been issuing these reports to your superiors when you were learning to walk. I am here representing the collected interests of the house, Lord Books, not my own, I assure you. He nodded. She was absolutely right in that respect. If you believe I do not have contingencies in place, then you stand double in error. He stated quietly. So long as my work remains amongst the living, it will always remain under my influence. You have waited for just under two decades. You can wait a few years more. You expect me to return to the house with merely your reassurance? Keep calm and carry on, as it were? <laughs> I think not. She scoffed. She took a step forward, and Arthur allowed himself to settle into his chair. She was quite fetching. We demand a return on what we have invested into this project. Arthur smacked his lips silently. He was thirsty. Do you now? The gorilla took a step forward. Very well, then. If this was the way she wished to carry out her duties, it is her burden to bear, not his. His eyes narrowed on the lumbering man. Tell me something. Can you speak? He blinked, looking back at the female for a moment. Was this idiot asking for her permission to reply? It is a simple question, and one I believe you do not need the graces of your counterpart to answer adequately. Can you speak? He repeated. Of course, my lord. Something he genuinely liked about the House of Usher. The gorillas they employed were given a modicum of education and refinement. Just enough not to make it tedious dealing with them. Excellent. His middle finger pushed down one of his red buttons. Considering her distance from him and where she stood, this was the better choice of the two. Oh, 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 
The two leads launched from their concealment just above his head. One drove itself into the curvature of her right breast, the other lodged itself into her wrist. She had no time to reach for either dart before the electricity entered her body. The woman jerked lightly at first, but her quivering grew as a whine rose from the life-granting device around Arthur. Her guard took one step. I wouldn't. And he motioned with his eyes to where his ring finger stroked and tapped a second red button. It was a macabre, bizarre dance of sorts the usherwoman enacted for his pleasure. And as foam seeped from between her beautiful, full, ruddy lips, Arthur felt a twitch under his lap blanket. The electricity continued to pump into her, even after she had fallen to the floor. The twitches only ceased once the generators in his chair silenced. His thumb pressed the yellow button underneath it, and the wires tore free of the woman's pale flesh and retracted back into his chair. You will take back to your lords at the House of Usher two missives. The first one, a reminder. Do not make demands of me, ever. While there has been a marginal investment from your order, I remain the most vested into this creation of mine, and my methodology will remain under my possession until such a time where I will share it. Any further sign of impertinence from your people, I will take as a sign of hostility. He motioned to the dead woman on the floor. We would not want that, now would we? No, my lord, he said, nodding so emphatically it seemed like his head might fly off. Arthur thought for a moment about that possibility, but then dismissed it before continuing. The house's involvement into my endeavors has been on my sufferance. Testing my patience any further will only yield more disappointments and dangers. Arthur then looked him over. The other is a recommendation. Elder Goddard is still in your order, yes? Yes, sir, he is. Please tell him I send you with a formal introduction. The middle finger of his left hand pressed the button underneath it. A card popped up from the armrest. The man started to reach for the ivory-colored card, but hesitated. Definitely more than he appeared. Go on, Arthur spoke in as soothing a tone as the vocalizer allowed. Take it. The man gave Arthur a weak smile, trained his gaze on the card as he slowly leaned in, and quickly snatched the card and withdrew, all in one fluid motion. You are an intuitive young man. You should not be condemned to the life of cannon fodder. Thank you, my lord. He rotated his chair away from the remaining usher representative. Now, collect your colleague and leave my estate. Arthur could hear the man take up the corpse and stomp back through the passage where they had earlier emerged. They would steal away and leave him be, but the House of Usher would not disappear completely. He had absently wondered when that secret society of Goddard's would grow more anxious and perhaps aggressive in their curiosity over his project. Arthur had been able to manipulate them into doing his bidding on those rare occasions that his own resources were not sufficient. Certainly, there had not been many times he had called upon them but now they believed themselves to be entitled to something for their involvement, 
insignificant as it may have been. This new interest of theirs would be something requiring his attention, and something he would have to fortify his estate against, perhaps even his very person. Arthur ran a finger along the edge of his right hand rest. He would need to meet with his clankertons and find out what he could do to make his presence more... imposing. When he watched the grass ripple and sway in the strong summer breeze, he felt an ache, a longing, creep over his skin. His eyes went to the left hand rest, and he watched his index finger push the yellow button there. His legacy to the Empire, whether for its betterment or for its downfall, whomever provided him the better offer, had abandoned him. But this was merely a moment's respite. Soon, in a world far from the heat of battle, far from the glory of victory, his son would return and reclaim what Arthur had always planned for him. Greatness. From the book's manner, a new kind of future would arise, and it will be from an instrument of his design. Only Arthur understood what was needed, and so it would remain until his creation returned home and claimed what would rightfully be his. You underestimate my son, Lillian taunted from beyond the grave. Footsteps slowly approached, and then Martin stopped at his carefully calculated and customary distance. You rang, my lord. Yes. Arthur began, his nostrils burning lightly as he took in a deep breath. Take me outside. I am in need of proper, fresh air. It always helps me think better. T. Morris began his writing career with his 2002 historical epic fantasy, Moravi, The Chronicles of Rafe and Ascana. In 2005, T. took Moravi into the then-unknown podosphere, making his novel the first book, Podcast, in its entirety. That experience led to the founding of Podiobooks.com and collaborating with Evo Terra and Chuck Tomasi on Podcasting for Dummies and its follow-up, expert podcasting practices for dummies. He won acclaim and accolades for his cross-genre fantasy detective Billy Bob Badding's Mysteries, the podcast of The Case of the Singing Sword winning him the 2008 Parsec Award for Best Audio Drama. Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, marks T's return to fiction and it can be heard on both Tales from the Archives and his latest podcast project, The Shared Desk. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, pre-audio copy of The Janus Affair, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, or order Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel from your favorite bookstore, or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, the iBookstore, or the Science Fiction Book Club. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, 
Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.